Esther chapter 4, 14b through 16. Esther chapter 4, 14b. Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my... I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you this day to, again, fill me afresh with your spirit. Lord, your people uh, need to hear from you, not some man. And so I ask that you would minister today through the preaching of your word, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide me, direct me during this time that I would be spirit-led. And God, cause your word to go forth and bear fruit for your glory. Cause it to encourage each of us, Lord, in what you have called us to do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, happy Mother's Day. We have... Is this your first Mother's Day? As a, I mean, where your little one is with us. Yeah, any other first-time Mother's Day moms? It's just special, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, happy Mother's Day. By the way, moms, on your way out, we'll be giving you a flower. Uh, so, uh, And that means that you're a mother and, and uh, that God made you a mother the way he designed it, not uh, society and you're identifying as one. You have to be a real mother in God's Bible, just so you know, according to what God says. Well, I had an interesting Sunday last Sunday. It was an, uh, there were a couple that used to come to this church, Michael and Tessa Fredrickson. Michael is now a pastor in St. Charles, and I went to go here and preach just to encourage him. And uh, after that, we went to a restaurant in Winona, and I'm sitting there with them in, in Winona in this little restaurant called the Acoustic Cafe, and out of nowhere show up Paul and Dorothy Matheson, right? So I'm going, wow, what are the chances? What a coincidence, Right? And so, shake hands, and we do, you know, we greet each other, and, and we're there talking for quite some time, and Paul and Dorothy left. And in the midst of, uh, after they had left, uh, Michael and Tessa have a little girl named Piper, and she was playing with mom's purse. And uh, she spilled her mom's purse, and the coins came out. One single coin rolled across the floor right to the place where Paul and Dorothy were sitting. So I happened to see the coin roll, and uh, by coincidence. And I walked over, and I bent down to pick up the coin, and when I went to pick up the coin, my eyes were level with the, the seat, and I saw Paul's hat there. So I grabbed his hat, and I brought it with me, and, and I brought it back to church. And you go, wow, what a bunch of coincidences, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. I can either give the pat on the back to coincidences or I can give the glory to God. And that's where we're choosing to go today. We're choosing to go there. That our sovereign God has put us, put you in this time and in this place for his purposes and for his glory. That's the main point of this message today. 
the author of Esther is really unknown. Uh, traditions say it could have been Mordecai or it could have been Ezra or Nehemiah. It was written somewhere around 460 to 350 B.C. Uh, it's interesting, the events that happened in Esther occurred sometime between the chapters of 6 and 7 in the book of Ezra. So very interesting little connection there. And what I'm going to do today, instead of just outlining uh, Esther, I'm going to quickly go through the story of Esther. So hang on, here we go. Uh, first of all, the king selected a Jewish orphan named Esther to replace Vashti as the queen. That's how it starts out. Then Mordecai, Esther's cousin who adopted her, stopped a plot to murder the king and was recorded in the king's book, but he wasn't rewarded. It was just recorded. Then Mordecai refused to bow before Haman, the king's second in command. So you had the king and then Haman, and Mordecai wouldn't do that. Part of it was because Haman uh, was a, a sworn enemy of Israel, of the Jews, and Haman refused to bow to him. There was a, a, a cultural thing there. Haman retaliated against Mordecai by seeking to annihilate all the Jews. Another holocaust is what it was. It was literally another holocaust that was being planned. Uh, Haman promised to pay the king's treasuries 375 tons of silver for the destruction of disloyal Jews. He convinced the, the king that the Jews were disloyal. They had a, their own separate king, all this other stuff. They didn't want to follow him. And so the king gladly said, sure, go ahead. The Persian king let Haman decree death for all Jews. Once a decree was made, a Persian king could not change it. Okay, important to know. Then Mordecai urged Esther to use her position to save the Jews. That's what we read. And finally, God gave the king insomnia. King couldn't sleep one night. And that caused the king to think about things. And God was doing a work. And this is the turning point in the book of Esther. Take a look. What happens is this. The king made Haman honor Mordecai for revealing the murder plot against him. Remember way back, the king recorded that uh, Mordecai had saved him, but didn't reward him. And so when he had his sleepless night, God reminded him of that. He gets up the next morning. And he's thinking, what should I do with this guy? So Haman walks into the king and, and says, how should I honor someone who really deserves honor? Haman's thinking it's him. So he gets all this fancy stuff going on, do this and this and this. And little did he know that he, Haman, would end up having to honor his very enemy, Mordecai, by what he had said. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Just incredible. Um, so then what happens is, uh, Queen Esther reveals she is a Jew and is threatened with death by Haman's plan. Finally, Haman is hung on the gallows. He prepared for Mordecai, and Esther is given Haman's property as a reward. The king then let Mordecai decree the Jews could defend themselves. See, he couldn't stop the decree that was already there because that was against Persian law. So what he did was he put, moved uh, Mordecai up into this position, second in authority, that Haman had, and he moved him up into that position. He said, you can go ahead and make a decree as well. And so he did, and his decree was that the Jews could defend themselves against anybody who would attack them. That led the Jews to defeat all their enemies, and in the end, we see that it is commemorated yearly by a festival called Purim, which literally means lots 
in Persian. So that's what we have. As a matter of fact, just so you know, on March 7th of this year, the Jewish community celebrated Purim. Isn't that cool? They still celebrate it to this day. And it's uh, basically to remember what God did in saving the nation of Israel through Esther in this time. It's a, a celebration of God's faithfulness is what it is. And that's what happened. So now you know the story of Esther. If you didn't read it, you need to go back and read it. It's only 10 chapters, not very long. And I want to encourage you to do so. So where is Christ in the book of Esther? Um, you know, we can see a lot of uh, reflections, foreshadowing of Christ, but I think the best uh, one at all, in all of it is this. Haman was hanged on the same day of the year that the Jews celebrated the Feast of First Fruits. Remember that a couple of weeks ago? That was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. All the way back. So the day Haman was hung, the day, that day of the year, was the same day of the year that the scripture t tells about Christ raising from the dead. And the first fruits, which was, again, a festival that was established to thank God for the coming harvest and his faithfulness in providing that harvest. So we see this beautiful picture of the gospel right there, right in front of us, on something that you wouldn't expect to see it at. The other thing is this. Jesus used the weapon his enemy devised, the cross. Jesus used the, the weapon that the enemy devised to destroy him and his spiritual seed because Haman wanted to destroy all Jews. He wanted to wipe out that race. That's what he wanted to do. Jesus used the weapon his enemy devised to destroy him and his spiritual seed to save his people. Isn't that the gospel? There's a gospel right there. Take a look. God's word. As for you, you meant evil against me. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Throughout history, we see God doing this. And then Colossians, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, we justly deserved punishment, separation from God eternally in hell. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, this is a picture of the gospel because where were we? We were separated from God. We were enemies of God. We had sinned and were separated for all eternity. And God took it in his hands. He sent his son Christ to come to live that perfect sinless life. Meet the requirements of heaven to spend eternity with God. And then Christ went to the cross. Satan thought he was defeating Jesus on the cross. That was it. I'm going to take Jesus out. He thought that that was the tool that would destroy Christ and all of the promises in the Word of God, the cross. And what happened is that very tool that the enemy was going to use to destroy Christ in his mind and any future uh, chosen people was the tool that God used to make us right with him.
that Jesus was punished for our sins. If you know Christ and receive the gift of salvation, your sins were punished on the cross at that time so that the requirement, the righteous requirement of God that all sin be judged and that it would require perfection without any sin ever in thought, word, or deed to spend eternity in God. Jesus did that for you. And this great exchange happens when you receive the gift of, of salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You see, that's the picture that we see here as Haman is hung on the very uh, gallows that he designed for Mordecai. Isn't that incredible? Just a beautiful picture of the cross right here in the middle of this book. Well, there's another interesting thing about this book in case you didn't notice if you read through it. This is the only book in the Bible without any explicit reference to God, to worship, to prayer, and there's no obvious miracle in this book. Nothing. Nothing. What Esther shows us is that God's sovereignty, God's providence, doesn't require high visibility. It doesn't need to make a splash. God doesn't have to always send out headlines, I'm here doing this. That's what Esther shows us. It's a picture of, of God's providence. What is that? Providence is God's behind-the-scenes care and control over his creation. He is sovereign. He is ruling. He is reigning. God is the ultimate cause of all things. Next week, we're talking about the book of Job. You go, boy, that was pretty rough. Yeah, well, you know what? Come next week, and you'll find out how God worked all the, his glory, even in that book, and the hard things that happened to Job. God is the ultimate cause of all, but he does so in a way that somehow upholds our ability to make real voluntary choices with real eternal results that we're responsible for. You say, God can't do that. Do you, do you hear yourself when you say that? Do you hear yourself? That, so you're saying that God can't cause us to make willing choices? God can't cause us to make willing choices. That limits his power, doesn't it? God can't do that. So there's something God can't do? Well, God can't sin, and God won't do anything that is not according to his plan. But you're saying that God can't do that. And I say, boy, I think that takes more faith than me saying that God is in charge of all things and he can do this, that he can create a creature who can make a willing, voluntary, meaningful choice, and yet those choices are nonetheless ordained by God. That's where I'm going to rest. Because to me, that tells me that I serve this powerful God that is so beyond what I can imagine and that I trust him, that he is a loving God that has a plan for his glory, and that's where I'm putting it. But that's what we see here. We, we run into that conflict sometimes, that God is in charge of things. And you know what? God is even in control of the seemingly random, insignificant events in your life. Like going to a certain restaurant in Winona, happening to have a little girl uh, play with her mom's purse, and one single coin roll over to the exact spot where somebody had left their hat. Somebody that was a child of God, and God wanted to bless that person. It wasn't about Dan. It wasn't about coincidence. It was about the glory of God. That's what it was about. You say, it's just a hat. Well, it's just a hat to you, but it's a, it's a good hat for Paul. And it was a blessing to Paul. And what did it do? It showed that he had a good hat. No, it showed that he has a great God. You see, that's what it's about. So God is working and weaving these things in. Think about the story of Esther. What happened there? 
God was in charge of beauty contests there. A beauty contest. She's going to be the winner. God was in charge. He was saying, you know what? You're going to reveal this plot. Mordecai just happened to overhear the plot. And then he tells the king, and the king just happened not to reward him at that time. Just coincidence, right? And then the king couldn't sleep. Next time you have insomnia, say, God, what do you want to do with this time? Clearly you have a purpose behind it. I don't get it. I try to spend my time praying because I'm figuring if I'm awoke and, uh, and I have some time here, I, I'm just laying, I might as well pray. It's amazing how quick you fall asleep when you do that, by the way. It is really amazing. But anyway, what about the roll of dice? I mean, part of what happened was that Haman decided when he would slaughter all the Jews by rolling the dice. So he picked the day of his own death which was the day that Christ would raise from the dead in that year. You see, God was controlling that. God was controlling the seemingly insignificant things, including the rolling of dice. And I say that because God's word says that. Take a look at God's word. Proverbs 16:33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Vegas rolling dice the city of chance. Yet God says in his word that every roll of the dice, God has determined. I, I can't get around that. That was one of those verses that caused me to just say, you know, man, i got to really kind of structure my doctrine around what the word of God says rather than what I feel. And even if I struggle with it and disagree with it, this is what it says. How do I get around this? And then Jonah 1.7. This is when Jonah was on the ship. Remember, he hid away because he, he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. So then the sailors, they were in the middle of the storm. And it looked like everybody was going to die. It says, come, let us cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Brothers and sisters, our invisible God may appear to be absent, but he is the invincible God working out his wise plans for your good and his glory. And it is even in the small things that he is doing this. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That your God is working on your behalf in the great and the small things, the little things, the places you eat, the little things and the great things. Brothers and sisters, know this without a shadow of a doubt, that just like Esther, God has determined when and where you are in history and where you live. You say, how can you say that? Because God's word says that. Take a look again. Isaiah, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. That's God speaking. From before time is what he's saying. And look at this, Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, all things, according to the counsel of his will. That's what it says. 
You know, you hear preachers say, well, what does all mean in, in Greek? Well, it means all, you know? Well, yeah, okay. So we, we like that, and so, but, but we have to have, cause that to, to have an effect, uh, impact on our life today. Look at Romans 13, 1b. This is an uncomfortable one for you all. It's an uncomfortable one for me. There's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And you say, the election was stolen. I will not argue that from up front here at all. I will say this, God has who God wants in the role. That may make you really uncomfortable. But is that true or not? Okay, is God sovereign over who is in charge of America and Canada and China? Is he or is he not? Because according to Scripture, it says here that they have been put there by God for his purposes. We'll talk next week about hard things that happen in our lives. That makes us uncomfortable today. I'm just saying, that's what it says. And if you, if you disagree, then you have to argue Scripture. Okay, not ballot box. You, you know where I stand on this, some of you that know me. You know where I stand, so it's hard for me to say some of these things. But it is what it is because of God's Word. Acts 17, 26. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined, now here's where it says, talks about you, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God determined that you would live in this time in history, that you would live exactly where you're living right now because God determined it. God has a plan. And that should cause you to rejoice. My God has a plan for my life. And then finally, Esther, who knows whether you, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God placed you in this time in history and where you live. He put you in places of influence, just like Esther. Just like Esther. The place you live. He placed Esther in the king's care. He placed you in your neighborhood. God put you there. You say, well, I really like the house and we bought it. Yeah, I get it. But is God sovereign or not? And I think he is. So God put you there. What about where you work? That's a uh, circle of influence, a place of influence. You're there by God's hand, the living God. He put you there. He's got a purpose for you to be there. No different than Esther. What about the things that you enjoy? This is something I discovered just a, a few months ago when I was just praying and talking to the Lord and realizing that even the things we like, we really enjoy, God has a hand in that because he's moving us according to what we enjoy doing into places where you can have influence in people's lives. I like old cars. I'm hanging around with people that most of you wouldn't hang around with. Why? Because I like old cars? Because God, in his kindness and his wisdom, said, you know what, Dan's going to be one of these guys that's going to just like old cars. Because there's all this group of people that I want to reach with his testimony. That they're going to be in that group of people. 
You see, even our likes and our dislikes are things that God has worked in our hearts. Why? Because he is sovereign and he has a plan and he is putting us in circles of influence. I can't hang around with some of you guys that are talking techie stuff because I don't understand it. And I nod and I go, yeah, okay, whatever. And, you know, but I just, I, I can't do that. Okay, but I can hang around with the guys that are talking about, well, you know, we did this to this motor and we did this to this body and we're doing a frame off and then we put new quarters on and we welded them up here and I'm going, wow, that's incredible. I can't even see that. And you're going, yeah, you're doing the same thing I'm doing when I'm talking to techie people. Why? Because of God. Because God is sovereign. Because God has created you in a way to bring him glory and to bring you the most joy. And he's got his hand all over And those callings that you have in your life, there's no more important one than the other. I'm called as a pastor, okay? Some of you are called as doctors. Ken is a doctor. You know what? I don't doubt one thing at all. Whether you're a doctor or you're a pastor or you work in a factory or you're a teacher or you're a farmer, God called you to that. That's a calling by God for your life. And he was designing something for you. You say, but I always like medicine. Who caused you to like medicine? Who caused you to want to help people? God had a plan. He was moving you in a direction to place you in a position that you're in right now. And you're there for the glory of God. You're there for the glory of God. And he's the one who is moving. He is the one who's shaking things. And I want to say this on Mother's Day. Mom, you are one of the most influential people in, in the lives of others. Know that right now. How many times do you see great men in particular, but also great women, say, you know, I just, man, my mom, my mom was standing by my side. Maybe you're one of those people. Mothers, do you realize the influence that you have in this world and if God calls you to be a stay-at-home mom, that is a precious calling. Do not diminish it. And I would say this. If you're a, uh, someone who is a mother and works, don't diminish the moms who stay home and vice versa. These are callings by God for a purpose. And understand that God has a, a reason for this. You have influence in someone's life. You have no idea what, how that's going to impact the world around them. You have no idea. So don't look and say, well, uh, you know what? The, God puts certain people in positions of whatever. He puts all people in positions of influence. And whether that's a CEO of a company or a farmer or a mom at home or the president of a huge company, it doesn't matter. God has called you and he has called you to a certain place. He has put the things that you love in your heart so that you would influence the people around you. And you know why? Because those people matter to God. They matter to him. They're lost, so many of them. Your neighborhood, you're there by God's design. You're a missionary in your neighborhood. And God is going to give you influence in that neighborhood. That's the call of a Christian. That's the picture that we see in Esther, that we are all called by God for a time such as this. God expects Christians to use their influence for his glory and for the good of his people. 
why did, why did I find Paul's hat? I mean, you ever think, why do you, why have fun? Because God wanted to bless Paul. Paul was his child. That's why. God wanted to show his greatness to Paul in something small because it meant something to Paul. And God knew exactly what he would do in order to show his greatness to Paul. And to us, it wouldn't make a difference. But to Paul, it made a huge difference. God is there. He is in your life. And the amazing thing is, is that in Esther, we don't see any obvious, explicit statement about God or prayer or worship. Just like in your life. It may not be obvious, but God is God up to his elbows, as we used to say, in your life. Whether you see it or not, he is there. And he is working. And he has placed you in this time in history and where you live and where you work and with your desires that you might influence people for the gospel. So how do you do that? How do you do that? God puts you there, whether you're at school, single, married, whatever, I don't know what it is. He put you there to influence people for the glory of God. So how do you do it? We're not great evangelists. We're just people that can be overwhelmed by the world. We're people that can be afraid of sharing the gospel. How do we do it? How do we influence people around us? I would say this. I think we find some hints in Esther. And I'll say this. How do we influence those who God has placed within our circle of influence? Four things. Through prayer, through holiness, through spirit-filled speech, (laughs) and spirit-led acts. Take a look at God's word, the little section of scripture we read. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I, I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Beautiful picture of how we can influence others. First of all, start with prayer. Esther called the Jews to fast for three days. Say, well, she called them to fast, not to pray. Prayer, I think, I believe this is implied here. It's implied. The Jewish people, when they were called to fast, they prayed to their God. I want you to know that you should always start with prayer, and I think that's where we struggle. We always start with prayer, because otherwise we're moving in our own strength and our own wisdom. And I say always start in prayer. Let me ask you, you don't have to answer this question, how many times do you pray for your neighbors that are lost? How many times do you pray for your fellow coworkers? How can you influence them if you're just going to do it in your own strength? But to pray for them always, always, brothers and sisters, in order to influence those that God has put in our circle of influence, we start with prayer. We, we trust, our, we put our hope in God doing a work in their hearts, not our great and mighty words that we think we're going to baffle them with. No, it's God doing a work in their hearts, so we need to start there. 
Start with prayer. But unfortunately, so many times that's where Christians stop. Oh, I prayed for him. That's great. That's good. What else? What else? Well, be an example. Be a godly example. Even in the midst of evil. See, that's where our struggle becomes because sometimes we like to use the fact that we're in the midst of evil as an excuse not to live a godly life and to be kind to those around us. But look at Scripture. We just got done with Nehemiah, right? What happened with Nehemiah? Godless culture he was part of. Godless. Makes what we live in America today look like a, a, you know, a holy place. Godless culture Nehemiah is living in. And yet his testimony, the way he lived, was a witness to the king. And the king said, hey, what's going on? And he gave him favor. Esther had favor. What about Daniel? What about Joseph? The stories go on and on and on and on again. It's amazing what God did. Esther remained humble and respectful to her husband and king. Even in the midst of a culture that, you know, I mean, think about that poor girl. She's a Jewish girl wanting to marry a nice Jewish man, and all of a sudden she gets elected as the king's queen and ends up having to sleep with a guy who is a pagan and all the conflict that must have been in her heart and all the things that that king did, yet she was always respectful. She was always humble, it seems, from what we can see in Scripture. You see how it talks about that in Scripture. About wives, submit to your husbands you know, in a loving way, kind way. That can be hard sometimes because, let's be honest, sometimes we husbands can be really not very easy to submit to. So what does that look like? I don't, you know, just, it, there's a, a testimony here, an influence. My wife loves to say this. She goes, you're the head of the home, Dan, and I know that, but you know the neck turns the head. That's true. Influence, isn't it? Influence. She knows that when it comes down to it, I have the final say. But you know, the great thing is, is that Lisa and I talk so much. Husbands, if you don't take the counsel of your wives, you're a fool. I'm going to say that right now because God has brought you two together as a helpmate to work together. I can say that we, Lisa and I have been married 35 years, I think, somewhere, or 37 and if you, after after twenty after twenty, they're all just numbers, right? And you just how many how many years? Wow, I can probably count on both hands how many times I had to make a decision that Lisa and I did not agree with, that I had to be the head of the home and make that decision, because I value her input. So yeah, you're the head of the home, but be careful, be careful how you handle that. Ladies, you are you have influence. Understand that. That's the way God designed it. Many times, Esther won favor for those who are around her. Why? Because of her character. I love, I, I was preparing for, for Cal's funeral, and literally that morning I read in my devotional what I felt was a description of Cal. And I realized, so I put it in the message that I presented uh, at Cal's funeral. And I think it just is a beautiful picture of what we can shoot for. Take a look at this. This is incredible. There will be three effects of nearness to Jesus. Humility, happiness, and holiness. 
May God give them to thee, Christian. Isn't that a picture of an example? Living a holy life? You're humble. You're happy. I mean, nobody wants to follow after a sourpuss, right? I mean, you say Jesus is the answer, and you're always grumbling. You're always, you know, you look like you got baptized in vinegar. Are you kidding me? I don't want Jesus. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's important. So these are things that we set that example. We're humble. We're happy. We're holy. This sets this example to those around us in our neighborhood where we work. Uh, we're not complaining all the time. We're not doing all these things. But we have this picture of who God is, and he gives us the, the grace to live this way in a way that brings him honor. And I'll say, say this, that a person of integrity is a powerful instrument in the hands of God. You see that over and over in Scripture. And, you know, why, did they, why did the king respond this way? Heathen God, you know, heathen, heathen kings that could care less about the, the Jewish God, and yet they were moved. The hand of God using the integrity and character of a Christian to affect not only that person in leadership, but those under of a blessing to those around them. Wow. So we have prayer. We have living a holy example. Spirit-led acts. Actions. Esther risked her life two times to go uninvited into the king's presence. It was death for her to go into that king without him saying, I want Esther to come. She risked it. And here's the thing. Esther didn't know the outcome of her actions. Do you realize that? God didn't say, you go to the king, but the king will welcome you. And she didn't know. She did not know. There's some times where we read in Scripture where God says, this is what you're going to do, and when you go before them, this is what's going to happen. That wasn't the case with Esther. She was saying, if I go, if I perish, I perish. She had spirit-led action in order to go into this king in something that could cost her her life. And I would encourage us as a body of believers to be determined to do what is right no matter the cost. Do what is right no matter the cost. That can be so difficult. But can we walk in the Spirit and trust that as we pray for people, as we live a godly life, that God will give us opportunities and now we can act and step out in faith regardless of the results. God, God doesn't promise that if you do this, everything will turn out great. But He will be honored. And he may not honor you in this life. It may be the next life. But walk in the Spirit, even when it seems dangerous. And God will take it into his hands. And finally, Spirit-filled speech. She shared the truth when it was uncomfortable. She said, King, this Haman guy, his decree against Jews is going to kill me. Because I'm a Jewish person. Do you, you realize the pivotal point that, there was, that happened right there? Because this king was convinced that the Jews were against him. And he was supportive of killing all the Jews. And she says, by the way, I'm a Jew. She risked it. She said, you know what? I'm just going to say it. And if I perish, I perish. It was uncomfortable for her to say those things. 
I want to challenge us as part of the circle of influence that God has put you in to maybe say things that are uncomfortable. First off, I would say, uh, you know, yeah, we're talking about the gospel, but it's more than that. Maybe invite someone to church. Say, hey, what are you doing? You want to come to church? Or talk about the things that you're doing that are, are Christ-centered. You know, I'm in a women's Bible study on Monday night, and I'm just, just growing so much from that. Or when somebody comes to you and you're at work and you say, oh, I can't proselytize and work, I get that. But when somebody comes to you and is downloading all their problems, you can do this. I'm going to pray for you. Is that okay? Can I pray? I'm going to pray for you when I get home. And then follow up the next day or the week later. Hey, you know, I've been praying for you. How are you doing with that? You say, it's so insignificant. So is insomnia. God can use it. God can use it to talk about things and, and say, I'll pray for you. I know that can be uncomfortable. I know that can be hard. But these are things that we can, we can do, we can talk about. In my small group, I have a lady who was a part of a basketball team, and uh, God had done such a work in her that a member of the basketball team saw the change in her and when this lady's life fell apart, she contacted this, this late young lady in our, our small group and said, I, I've noticed a change in you. What's going on? She said, she shared her, her faith. She just said, I am a Christian. Is that what happened? And she said, you know, I think I want to go to church. So this young lady invited her to church. Pray for a young lady named Corey. You've got to come to church one of these days. So we can have influence. God puts you in a place of influence. And here's how you can influence those around you. I want to challenge you if you're in a small group this week. Talk about your circles of influence. Talk about where you, what you can do. Spend that time applying this message. Where are your circles of influence? Who are they? Who is God laying on your heart? But my neighborhood's so big. Great, then ask God for two people to lay on your heart. Start there. Don't stop there. You see, God is able to act without us, but he chooses to use us to impact the lives around us. This sovereign God put you in this time and in this place for his purposes and his glory so that he would be worshipped among the people. He would be worshipped for his supremacy and his grace and his power and his love. And by God's grace, you can become an instrument of blessing to those in your circles of influence. By God's grace. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of you today. God, each person in this room is no less ordained to be where they are in the places where they are than Esther. God, you called her to go before a king. You call us to go before kings and queens even in our own lives, people that are, have authority over us or people that are, are close to us. And God, you placed us there for your purposes. And I pray today, God, that you would put a burden on our hearts, that we can lean upon you to do this miracle.
to reach out and be an influencer in the places where you have put us in this time in history. And God, we will not know the effects until we stand before you. And at that time, as always, we will cast all that to your feet, saying, worthy is the Lamb. So God, do this work in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we continue in worship.